Well, hello again. This is Shane and this is Heartlines. And this is episode 22 or episode four of my Edinburgh Festival Fringe series. I have another very special guest on the line. He is an American comedian who's based in England. He's a very funny guy indeed. His name is Al Lubell. How are you doing, Al? Good, thank you. So tell the listeners about you, Al. Recently, uh, you ever hear Richard Feynman? He was like a famous physicist. Okay. Yeah, he was a famous physicist. Okay. But one time, a British, some British guy was interviewing him. Yeah. And uh, asked him to explain something about physics. And Feynman said, on what level do you want to understand the problem? Like electromagnetism? Like what <laughs> level? You know, and that stuck in my head. I'm not a scientist, so I could see why you wouldn't be interested in that. Yeah, I couldn't really explain that very well anyway. I'm not really sure. So I, but who I am is like a very difficult uh question but i mean i don't even you know also i'm thinking philosophically who i am what the hell who i am i mean it's like a big question but as, uh, getting rid of all those aspects okay to answer what i think you mean by the question okay go i on. will guess in my mind what i think you mean by it and answer to it yes i am from uh america yeah uh, i was a lawyer i was a lawyer actually a couple for a few years before i became a comedian okay uh I, already, I was in law school when I already knew I wanted to do stand-up, but I didn't have the guts to quit law school and, you know, take a chance. I had it programmed in my mind to become a lawyer or whatever. So I finished law school, then I did a little in Miami, Florida, yeah. and then I practiced a little law in Newport Beach, California. Okay. I moved there because I wanted to be close to Los Angeles in case I wanted to try starting to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I did. I started doing stand-up and... Uh, and I started, you know, uh, gradually in a few years, three, three years, I quit law mm. and uh, just became a stand-up comedian. And, wh- and, and I, I'm originally from New York. And wh- I used to go back to New York to do stand-up. And comedians would tell me a lot about uh, England, comedy in England. And uh, I used to go to Canada to do comedy a lot, Montreal and uh, Vancouver, uh, Toronto, a few places. I always liked the Canadian audiences a lot. Uh, a lot, you know, and uh, I thought they had a better attention span in some ways than U.S. audiences. Okay. So I thought maybe English audiences would be the same way. And uh, it turns out uh, that it is that way. I, I like uh, coming to England to do stand-up. That's good. I'm yeah. actually living here. Yeah, that's funny. Like uh, someone pointed it out to me uh, that I actually do live here. So you live in, you live in Edinburgh. No, I live in Dublin. No, no, I, I, I haven't. Are oh, you Irish? I am You're Irish. Can, oh, I, see. I don't, okay. I don't know if my accent can tell, tell me, but yeah, uh, but they are. I guess oh. I'm told I'm Irish most of the time, but I don't know. I've told a lot of people this. I used to work on a cruise ship, so I would work with a lot of American guests. So I might have to flatten my accents a, li- a little bit. I see, but you would for American guests, you would change to an American accent. No, just flatten it out because Irish accents sometimes can be quite thick, and for the for the guests on board, you'd have to slow your accent down just to kind of, you know, enunciate your words so they can kind of grasp. Uh, so they understand exactly. So you're not just rambling on like they're going. There's the Irish guy over in the corner, you know. Right. <laughs> I see. Yeah, because. I think you guys are Irish and English. You can you talk faster, maybe in general, than Americans, right? Yeah, you speak faster, right? Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, I've noticed, and also you don't right because one time I tried to jut into uh, what's the word? That's not the word jut. Jut into like, what? What would be the right word to say? Like to break into a conversation? Um, like, I guess that could be an English the right word. word. Jut or like break into a break into a conversation? Yeah, maybe? break in. I'd say break in. Yeah. You're, you're breaking in. Okay, you're break, 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 yeah. Break in. Yeah. 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 But this British guy literally never paused. Yeah. I couldn't find an opening. Yeah. 
you know, and I thought, wow, what talent to be able to keep talking without pausing ever. <laughs> you guys, I really think are uh, the Irish, the British. I'm not just saying this. Uh, yeah, you obviously it's obvious. Everyone knows it. We in America used to think, well, maybe it's just their accent that sounds more intelligent. Yeah. But I think also you have a better command of language than we do. Uh, I think it's because, you know, you had the language first. I mean, you used to get started. It. Your school mm. system's older. Mm. And so it's got maybe I think it's a better maybe the system got a little diluted when it got to America, like when it moved out there. And also maybe the wet. My theory is the weather is worse. So you're in pubs more and you're talking to each other more. You're less isolated. You're more in conversation. The pubs are part of our kind of culture. And, and at the moment during COVID, the pubs are being affected because we don't have that place to go to, you know, as you say, communicate and socialize. So we have to find other ways to socialize. Pubs are still open, but the main pubs are still closed. Like the actual old school pubs where you can sit at a bar. Those days are gone for the time being where people can go up and sit at the bar and communicate and, and, and socialize. And that, can, that sometimes can be the only time they talk to people during the day when they talk to the barman, you know what I mean? I know, but yeah, but forgetting COVID for a second, you've had a thousand years to develop your language skills in the park. True, yeah. And you're I not going to lose it in five months. Sometimes with movies, I think I've gotten better at it now because I've lived here, mm-hmm. but there was a movie I saw years ago, a Mike yeah. Lee film called Naked. You okay. ever hear that movie? It's a really no, good movie. No, never, no. A British, British film. Yeah. But I couldn't pick up on a lot of stuff because the words is, you know, it's English, but I still couldn't pick it up and yeah. some of it. Yeah. But now I'm a little better at it. I watched a part of it again recently. And yeah. uh, I am better, I think, at picking up some of the, some of the words. You know, uh, because a lot of, like you do guys do speak pretty fast. And some mm-hmm. words aren't the same words. Yeah. You have different words, like knackered, right, means tired. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't know that you yeah. know, until you have to learn that you know, stuff, you know. I think in England and Ireland, we have a lot of slang, even in Scotland, but Scotland's accent, Scotland has slang and even slang times two. They say words that even like, I don't even understand. You know what I mean? Oh, they have lots of little like slang words that are just like totally alien to even English or Irish people. You know what I mean? So it's, there's always variations of languages that no one understands, you know? Oh, I know. And people, comedians joke about that. Like in Scotland, uh, you really cannot understand some people at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe from people from certain villages or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. It, the, you know, the language changes based on yeah. little villages and little yeah. things. And it's funny, they call it English. But uh, for example, like old English, you know, it's very yeah. hard to understand like Shakespearean English. It's- yeah, let's go back to the original question of who is Al. Okay, okay, Al can mean many things, but Al, for, for the most part of, how many years have you been in comedy, Al? How many years? Oh, uh, 30 something, 38, 39. Okay. So then you're a comedian, you're a performer, you're an entertainer. Okay. That's what you are. Yeah. You, you obviously have many other fa- uh, facades that like people don't know, or, you know, that you don't focus on so much or it doesn't pay the bills per se. Okay. But I also want to talk about before you done comedy, because that's what intrigued me. Okay. You passed the bar. Now for a lot of people, they, they don't pass the bar first time. You passed the bar first time. Talk about that. Well, I could brag even more. I passed two different bars, Florida and California. Okay. Uh, the first time. So mm-hmm. uh, my goal actually t- to this day is uh, pra- pass the bar in all 50 states and not practice in any of them. Uh, no, I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, but I did pass in, uh, yeah, I passed in two. Yeah, I did. Because, you, know, you know, I was conditioned to take tests in school. You know, I wanted to yeah. pass. Yeah the test you know it's just uh conditioning i think it's like this okay I, it, like 
would your family have had this kind of attitude of like education is key and you've got to be a, like in a high power position and you were, you were kind of fighting against that or was it just a natural progression for you just not to be in law and you always knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I just don't have to, to keep the family happy sort of thing. Well, you know, I think I grew up in a lot of ways pretty late, you know? Uh, so I don't think I knew what I wanted. I had no idea what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I had a vague idea. I remember in high school, right about graduating, I thought, I'd like to do something with the brain. Like, I'd like to study the brain, maybe be a psychologist or yeah. something with the brain. But I didn't need, but I was a psychology major in college. Uh, but I didn't think about being a psychologist because I think it was indoctrinated into me to be mm-hmm. a lawyer. My father was a pharmacist, but, uh, but it was indoctrinated. My uncle was a big shot lawyer, very mm-hmm successful, smart lawyer in Washington, D.C. But anyway, so I think it was indoctrinated. And I like, you know, there was a show called Perry Mason, a TV show in America. I like those lawyer shows. I like, and I like arguing. I do like arguing. I think I wanted to be a lawyer, but uh, it took me a while to realize I'd rather have been a comedian. Uh, In undergrad school, undergrad, uh, I became president of student government. I ran for student government president. I won that. So uh, and then I would remember, you know, I was in the drama department. I took some drama classes and I was in, had small parts in a couple of school plays. I liked that. And I would dabble in stand up. Uh, like I bought some Lenny Bruce albums. Uh, and uh, in acting class, I would try out some Lenny Bruce routines. Uh, so that all, I was always interested in, in stand up, uh, but I never thought I'd be one. Mm-hmm. But while I was in law school, I started thinking maybe I should try to be one because I really didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't, I really uh, didn't want to, it didn't excite me as much. I wanted it all to be about me. But when you're a lawyer, you got your client there too. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ditch the client. I just wanted it to be me, you know, <laughs> about me. You know? yeah, so yeah. Uh, I should write, I'm going to have to write a routine on that. That could be funny. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so, so gradually I got a little, a little more, more confident yeah. to quit the lawyer uh, for two years in California, Newport mm-hmm. Beach. I worked for a guy and yeah. I had a few cases, uh, uh, drunk dri- couple of drunk driving cases, a divorce case. Uh, mm. uh, but I was dabbling in stand-up at night. There was a local comedy club in Newport Beach where I was a lawyer. And at night, I would sometimes go up and do on the open mic, on the new material night. And, and I auditioned and I, got, I became like an MC, a regular host yeah. at the club. And so as I got a little more successful as a comedian, I gradually had the confidence to quit the law. That's it. I mean, like, like a lot of people will say, you know, don't quit your full-time job until your actual side gig or side hustle or job or whatever, like comedy is bringing some money in so you can actually walk away. You know, it's a very yeah. risky situation if you just jump out of a job and you just jump into comedy. Cause especially these days, looking at the comedians or people wanting to do comedy, it's, it's a very competitive market. You know what I mean? So you got to be really, really good, oh, yeah. you know, to get to that level. Now, I have a question for you, okay? Can you find any similarities, similarities between law and comedy? Or has, has, has studying law helped your comedy, like, at all? I think a little. I think, yeah, definitely, like, uh, as a lawyer, you have to look at both all sides of an argument, you know, like what the other side is going to be thinking. And, and you're always like, how, how many arguments can you make? Like, how many different reasons can you give why you should win mm-hmm. so you look at or if you're writing an appellate brief appellate brief is like when you appeal a decision and you go to the higher court and you have to write this whole brief on why you're right 
Uh, well, writing jokes is kind of like that in some way, uh, like really analyzing it from all aspects. Mm-hmm. And people, it's not, you know, you don't have to do it that way. A lot of people are great, just one-liner comics. And first of all, it's not really, here I'm analyzing that. It's not really one line, is it? Uh, so occasionally it is, but very often it's a setup line and a punch. So it's really two-liner comics. Yeah. So, uh, at the, you know, but, but sometimes it's actually one. I have like one joke, which is one line. But my point is that, uh, so I think for my, I've, people have noticed this about me. A lot of my routines are pretty long and involved. And they don't have to be that. But I think they are because I happen to have been a lawyer. And I happen to like analyzing things. And, you know, so I think it has helped me maybe develop my style. Or maybe it caused my style being a lawyer. Mm. And maybe I wouldn't have had this style had I not been a lawyer. Yeah. But maybe I would have anyway, because I just like uh, overanalyze. People tell me I think too much all the time. You think too much. You're overanalyzing this. You're overanalyzing this. Well, it turns out in the world of comedy, it's actually a good thing. In life, it could be a bad thing because you could get people sick of you really fast. Yeah, like we've we've all seen those, like as you said, like big big law kind of uh, TV shows. And the charismatic kind of lawyer who who defends or who who wins the case, and that's kind of your because you're telling a, a story or an anecdote, like people are, are are you're buying into what you're saying, and in comedy it can work like that. You're kind of like you become the hero because you're able to tell a story or an anecdote and really get them to believe in 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 what you're saying, you know. And just like a lawyer, I guess you're trying to sell your story and try to say, guys, this is the reason why this person is wrong or this person is right or whatever, you know. Yeah. That's true. And like one story that, you know, I was pissed off we lost, but looking back on it, it was kind of a compliment that there's a thing called, there was a thing called moot court in law school. Okay. Moot means like, uh, I guess moot, the, the, the argument is moot means it doesn't mean anything. Non-existent. Uh, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Irrelevant. Or something. But uh, I think, but how they meant the word moot court was fake court. You know, it was like they set up fake trials to see, and you'd have lawyers of two teams each. You'd have a partner. And the competition was to see how far you could get mm-hmm. to win the final court case. And we didn't get close. Me and my partner did okay, but we didn't get close to winning. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we lost, the one we lost, the judge, they would use these like real attorneys from the neighborhood, from the area to come and judge. And she said about me, your legal argument was absolutely wrong, but you were so invested in it, you actually almost had me believing you were right. You know, <laughs> like I look back at it now. That was a good compliment because, yeah. yeah, I think my strength was more the emotional uh, passion to win than mm. really the preparation. Now let's let's get back to comedy. So you won. You 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 were, you, you were in comedy a couple of years, quite a short time, and you won a comedy competition earlier on. Did that did that open doors for you when you won that comedy competition? A little, not as much as you would think, because. Uh, it wasn't on network television. It was a good competition, but it wasn't network. It wasn't NBC, ABC, or CBS. Okay. It was uh, in the U.S. what we call, I don't know, it was syndicated television. So it wasn't like The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson was the thing back then. So okay. it wasn't like, and, and that and the Tonight Show wasn't a competition either. But like, if you do great on The Tonight Show, it doesn't always mean anything either, but it could still be a big deal. But where the show I was on, I wasn't really ready to be, uh, a great comic then. Uh, you know, I'd only been doing stand-up full-time for two years. But I did win it, and uh, I did start to... He- so in some ways, it hurt me because some clubs started headlining me, making me... In America, you have a system where you have like an opening act doing 20, 
the middle act does 30 and the headliner does 45 to an hour. That's a lot. 20 minutes for, yeah, a, that's for, how the for comedy club 20 minutes for an opening. That's quite a lot. That's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, that's the road, the stuff on the road in America, mm-hmm. but like okay. the stuff in, in Los Angeles or in New York, the local clubs, mm-hmm. each comic usually gets 15 to 20 minutes. There's yeah. no headliner. Oh, okay. but the road comics are different. Like if you're playing another city, like they don't, See, in, in New York and L.A., there are so many comedians, they don't, ha- they don't want to give you an hour because they have so many comedians, they'd rather split it up and give each person 15 minutes. So instead of calling the, the, the headliner a headliner to call him a closer, would you say that or no? Uh, yeah, but not, not in so much in New York or L.A. They might call it a closer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but you're still doing the same amount of time as everyone okay. else. So you, they, may, they may just call you the last act. Okay. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't really. Yeah. Uh, but on the road, they don't have, now they have more comedians, but still they don't, no one other than New York and LA, they don't have the same amount of comedians. So if you had, if you play a club in say like, you know, Nebraska, which I never did play in Nebraska actually, but you know, they'll pay you more money to come out there and you'll close the show doing 45 minutes to an hour. And, uh, the middle act will do a half hour and the opener will probably be a guy that lives in town and he does 20. The yeah. middle act probably lives in town too and does 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, my point is because I won Star Search, the show, suddenly some clubs were willing to headline me. But I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough good material. I had 45 to an hour, but it wasn't all good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I lost some of those gigs. You know, I ended up doing them. They didn't like me. And not only wouldn't they have me back as a headliner, they wouldn't even have me back at all yeah. because I sucked in the I, headline spot. I so they wouldn't even have me back as a middle. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about about just getting that kind of life experience under your belt and and, and getting that like getting a couple of years under your belt before like more than two or three years. I'd say five right. years. I'd say minimum just to be kind of you know get like a set twenty or a set fifteen or even a set forty five, as you say, you know, or, or a show that you're willing to travel with, you know. Now, right. true. Did you, you know this is it's 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 very well known? But Jerry Seinfeld once said about you, he has one of the best jokes I ever heard. Now, can you tell us what joke what, what that joke is, or give the premise of the joke? Yeah, sure. My joke is: I say I love to eat and rest, eat and rest, eat and rest. And people say to me, uh, "What about sex? Don't you also love sex?" And yes, it's true. I do love sex, but not because I enjoy it. It's because when it's over, I'm hungry and tired. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's clever you know like i mean it's um you're thinking a lot of people think like that but it's about it's, if you can write something like that that's you're you're connecting with everybody you know everybody goes yeah everyone every, everyone does those two things well mm-hmm. three things actually yeah they eat and they, you know but you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah i want to ask you about your first fringe memory so what what year was your first fringe experience or or, or and then after that what what year was your first fringe full show uh my first year fringe was 2013 okay and it was a full show that i did because i'd been doing stand-up for many years yeah and i had been working on a full show for a while in america doing different versions of it Mm -hmm. but uh so the first year i did it in 2013 i already had a show that i had been working on in, in in america so that was my first year yeah and you actually got you actually won a judge's prize uh, for the uh, Amuse Moose. You must be proud of that for your Mentally Al show. That was your show. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a funny story though, and I actually split the prize with a guy named uh, a funny comic named Danny Ward. Do you know Danny Ward? 
Just I know the name. It, it rings a bell, but no, I don't. I don't know the, per, the person. I'm personally. pretty sure that's his name. It's been a few years since I've said his name. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's his name. But it's funny, like, I thought I had won because, like, I was backstage. And I, first of all, I thought I lost because I was backstage and I heard, I thought I heard them announce the winner. I couldn't hear the words clearly, yeah. you know, coming from. And I thought, oh, well, I didn't win. And then suddenly I hear them announce me as a winner. So I thought, oh, I did win. So I went up on stage and I thanked. And then uh, after the show's over, you're standing around in the area and like they give you a trophy. They gave me a trophy and yeah. I didn't see Danny there. Uh, and so we didn't get to talk about it. So I thought I won. No one told me I didn't win the whole thing. I won half the thing. I oh. won a thing called the judges prize. The judge voted, the judges voted me the winner. The judges, right? And like who did, are, are the judges people that like are critics or are they just comedians or w w what positions uh, do they have? Uh, they were, no, they were, I don't think they were comedians. I think they were all like, like newspaper writers or bookers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the judges voted me. But the funny thing is like what they had at this event, they had t the 10 people that were vying for the winner of the thing. Each did 10 minutes from their show. Yeah. We all did 10 minutes. So based on the 10 minutes from our show, Danny won, right? Which is fine. I'm not making fun of Danny, but, but he was, first of all, he was voted the people's champion. Okay. I was voted the judges champion. So that kind of pissed me off. It's like, what, the people don't like me? Only judges <laughs> like me? That bothered me. You know, uh, I'm like unpopular with humanity. You know, people hate me. Oh, but people who judge people like me. Uh, I don't like people that judge people. So, you know, I'm liked by assholes, you know, but anyway, no, I'm trying, I'm making a joke, but my point is that, uh, so, and what also bothered me about that thing was the whole purpose of doing a one man show is to do an hour, to be able to express yourself in an hour format. It seems silly to me to have a contest based on the 10 minute, first best 10 minutes of it. You know, the whole point is not to do 10 minutes. The whole point is to do an hour. That and it's is true. silly to me to have a prize for the best 10 minutes of something. It's just, you know, and look, I, I, I'm, I, I hope I don't sound ungrateful. I should make a routine out of this so it doesn't sound, <laughs> stage you do it, you're like, oh, yeah. isn't he funny? Yeah. But in a podcast, oh, isn't he ungrateful? But anyway, my point is yeah, this, yeah, that yeah. Uh, the funny story about it is that, so I thought I won. Anyway, mm. that night, I'm doing a show. It was a Sunday night. I remember I, that the contest happened, the 10 minute thing happened in the afternoon. Okay. So the con then I did my show at 10 at night or something. There's only like nine people in the audience. It was a very tough crowd. Yeah. It was agony. And a big booker was sitting in the back and I was depressed, bombing in front of this big booker. You know, so I thought, oh, I lost that opportunity. And I'm walking home thinking, well, at least I won the award. I won 5,000 pounds. At least you won that. So I go online when I come home and I go, what? I only won 2,500. I'm only a co-winner, which is fine. Still, it's a good thing. But when you thought you won 5,000 and you were the winner, winning 2,500, it's a letdown, you know? So 20, uh, it's still 2,500. I, I take it. You take it. You know what I mean? It's, it's called American ungratefulness. Oh, okay. We in America are ungrateful. <laughs> I don't know if you're we, we are narcissists. And uh, no, that's not true. I shouldn't blame. I should blame myself. I'm like, I am maybe a cliche American in a lot of ways. Uh, well, just because I was an only child and very smothered, overly smothered, so I'm angry, and overly spoiled, so I feel entitled. So I got these issues. 
Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's no better place on a stage to, to, to talk about your issues in front of nine people. You know what I mean? That's, 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 that's therapy. <laughs> no, really, for, for me, me that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah. No, that's right. Nine people. That would have been a fun experience if yeah. I didn't have that booker in the back. The show was doing very well out there. And sometimes you have to just say it's the nine people that suck and not me. They yeah. were tough, you know, but maybe they weren't in a good mood. And they're only nine people. You can't force nine people to be a great crowd. Perhaps part of it, yeah. part of it was me also because I was tired. I had gone through the whole contest earlier that day. So okay. it also could have been me that wasn't. Yeah. Good, yeah. That's the hard thing to do, I think. I mean, as you're as you're progressing in comedy, is to energy keep the energy going through a day, especially to a festival like the Fringe. It's the biggest comedy festival in the world. You could be right. doing an open spot in the morning at eleven o'clock, and then doing a gig at one oh, right. and three and yeah. five and seven. You could do five or six gigs in a day, so it's about balance oh, yeah. that energy. And then you have a, you might have a full show like you did. So you're trying to balance that energy out for the big one, which is your main show. You know what I mean? I know. Now tell me this. So you, you got to the fringe of 2013. Did, were you what were you thinking about the fringe? Was it ever on your on your radar, or what, was it just you decided that year was the year you were going to give it a go? Yeah, uh, it was. I well, I always heard about Edinburgh, like mm-hmm. for maybe the ten years previous to that, I'd always hear, "Oh, Edinburgh is great. You got to go to Edinburgh." And I think, what is this Edinburgh stuff? I had never heard about it. Oh, really? Yeah, you got to go to Edinburgh. You got to go to Edinburgh. And so I never had the money to go. Actually, I did have the money to go and. 2006 and seven, but I just never, it was a vague thing to me. I never like put it together why I should go or, okay. or just applying. I thought, oh, I got to apply. And, and actually other festivals I had done, they flew me out and they paid me. And yeah. I think part of me was like, wait a minute, I got to fly myself out there. I got to pay to be in it. They're not even going to pay me. Uh, so, cause I had done the uh, first uh, Australian festival in Sydney called Cracker, I believe, Cracker Comedy Festival. Okay. So I had done that in 2005. They flew you out. They paid you. I was there for five weeks. And now you didn't do your own show. I didn't do my own solo show. I would do like 20 minutes on shows. Uh, and then I did some festival in Cape Town. And again, I didn't do a solo show, but they paid you and flew you out. So I guess I was kind of spoiled thinking, well, what, really, I have to, you know. But then I kept working in 2009. I kept started working on a solo show really hard. Like, and a friend of mine helped me book it, get on it, get small crowds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually just 10, 15, 20 people. But every, like, every Friday night I did it for like a year, for two years. Mm-hmm. And 2009 and 10, I started thinking, wow, that, I really would like to go to Edinburgh and try this thing out. And so they didn't have an opening. Uh, I, do you know, Paul? Are you still there? Hello? I'm here, yeah. Shane? Yeah, yeah okay. I'm here. I'm here, I, I'm here. I never know when people are thinking or when the Zoom thing is frozen. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to absorb. I'm just taking in what you're saying. Go on. Oh, that's good. That's very healthy. That's very Buddhist of you. That's very, <laughs> very, very present. I am not very Buddhist. Go on, continue. <laughs> okay. But Paul Prevenz is a very funny comic I used to perform with years ago. And he started a show called, it's a very popular show at Edinburgh. It's, it's there every year. What's this thing called? It's where you have to create they give you like topics and you have to create a routine about it. You just make up uh, on the spot humor on it. Oh, it's not, like, it's not like the fast fringe or no, it's, it's something else. No, is it? No, is it it's like, actually you're, you're in competition. Is it an improv type thing? Is it, Oh, is yeah. it, is it the rap battle? No, no, it's not, no. It's no, no. It started before this. They started, I think the first year it happened was 2011 or something. Oh, okay. 
No, I, I the name's not coming to me. No, but anyway, I, I look it up. Paul would send people over to Edinburgh. He would uh, like he Eddie Pepitone. You know Eddie Pepitone? I know he's a a, a top class comic. I've never seen his work. No, never seen yeah. his work. Yeah, very funny comic. He did it yeah. in 2012, I believe, or eleven. Okay. Uh, Ed- yeah. And uh, he brought Will Franken over. You know Will Franken, very funny guy. I know the name. I see. I see all these names. Sure. But the thing is, I don't. I haven't got them. The thing is, if I don't like, I've not seen their show and not met them. I don't really know them. You know, there's so many comedy sure. circles. There's lots of clicks and comedy circles. And with you, I, I, I seen you in the corner. I thought, oh, will talk to me. And now I realize why you talk to me, Al. Not one joke. Now I now because right. re- <laughs> no because you're you're you like you like a chat and you were very open to me as well. But I don't know these guys. But just keep throwing names out there, and I'm, I'm some one might stick. Let's see. Sure, but before uh, since this is about me, I'm curious. How did we meet again in Edinburgh? Where was this at? In, in the caves. Uh, we were sitting in the caves. I was promoting for Just a Tonic. That's where their kind of base is. Uh, 2015 and you just I remember you're talking with the lawyer but that's why I brought it up a bit more because I felt this is this is part of you and and you're like as you were saying who is Al Al is Al is a former lawyer so it's still in you you still have that kind of in you you still try to defend the the lawyer aspect of your life in a way I guess are you the person I do vaguely remember a person that I was talking to with just at the caves Mm. Up to my last show at Edinburgh, I did. That's you. I remember. I saw you that online there. Did I see I, you online there? I I, I spoke to you. I spoke to you before and after the show. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, Were I, you I waiting online? I think I was. I, wait, I think I probably was waiting online. I I actually like that that year. I actually was promoting for a comedian called Mick Ferry. I was promoting for a comedian called Steve right. Bajaya, uh, another guy called Peter Brush. I was I was basically promoting for all these kind of different comics, you know, and. It was good fun. It was good to meet all these different comics. Good. Yeah, no, I do remember. Yeah, thank you. I, I remember sitting with you somewhere at the caves. We were mm. sitting down talking. It was, I think, the first and, couple. I think it was the first night when it's it's the meet and greet where you meet all the different right. comics and like you're, you're given the list of the shows and there was just drinks going and it was just it was basically like a chance for comics to connect before they jump into a, a three-week kind of schedule of craziness, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I remember that. I just do remember the last show I didn't like very much at Edinburgh, the last show I did there, because it was packed. That was mm-hmm. cool. It was totally packed. But yeah. there was some drunk woman in the middle of the ro- room talking loudly, yeah. distracting me, me at least, and some people. Yeah. She was just a drunk idiot yeah. and in the middle of the room. And yeah. I'd rather have a room that's half full where everyone's listening, like you know, instead of true, a packed yeah. room. Yeah, no, true, 100%. Did you notice the drunk idiot? Do you remember there's some idiot? Look. I, five years ago, I know. Uh, I've, I've, I, I never forget shit. I, 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 I remember, I'm, I'm funny, I remember faces, not names. I remember places, not like, kind of like, yeah, you know, specific moments, you know. If, if it was very standout, I, I remember you doing a set and I remember the room was quite full, but after that, I just, I, 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 I'm zoned out. I don't know. I just remember being at the show and I was just enjoying the show and then I just, I'm sure there may have been a drunk person, but I guess it's at the fringe. There could have been drunk people there in like midday or in the afternoon, you know what I mean? So it's, Oh, I know. It was a midday. It was like a 4.30 show. Yeah, so like that's, that's, that's probably like you're probably expecting some people to be drunk if it was during the fringe, you know what I mean? Totally, but I just don't like it when they're talking because like you could, if you're quiet drunk, please, that's fantastic. I don't mind. 100%. I just don't want it. You know, all it takes is like some someone chattering while you're doing yeah. your act is just bad but no, anyway I, the show still went well 
and it was recorded. My friend recorded it. So yeah. uh, it went well, you know, but I just, mm -hmm. you know, I just remember that last show because it was mixed feelings. It was like Charles Dickens, the best of times, the worst of times. Mm -hmm. It was the best of times that it was packed, you know. Yeah. It's not, an, you know, for me, it's a unique. I luckily was nominated that year for a award for the best it's what's it called the barry awards yeah i think so but after barry humphreys i think it is yeah yeah an australian no, no, no. is that not I it so. no, that's different the barry awards is a, an australian award yeah that's but different this, okay this is named after barry ferns the guy that runs ah, Angel Comedy. are they in london or where are they based yeah yeah they're based in london Dang. one thing called the bill murray pub it's angel comedy at the bill murray pub i think i've heard and of the that, other one i'm not being there yeah okay yeah it's a great room they have two rooms and cool. uh, so they have this room award for like alternative type style comedy. Okay. So because I got nominated for it, that helped suddenly like halfway through the run, I started getting big crowds, you know? Yeah. So uh, that was a cool feeling because I never had that experience in America. Yeah. Because there are just so many comedians and it's so spread out America. Yeah. And you almost, you have to be a star on television, really. There's no, it's not, there's no absolute rule, but in general, you better be like a star if you're going to have people show up. But it's something to your show. But at Edinburgh, word of mouth happens because it's a closed circuit. It's like a yeah, people no, talk and it's an intense experience. What a great thing. So if you put together something people like, you actually can get people showing up at your show. Where in America, when I was working on it for two years, I never had that happen. I'd always have like 10, 15 people if I was lucky. Word of mouth never meant anything in America. What you had to have was money for publicity. Or you had to be a star. Well, as long as, long as you have those 10, 15 people who are attentive as you want, you, you, can, you can draw them in and, and get them on your side because that's, that's, the, that's the game, isn't it? You want to get them on your side, get them uh, into your world and, they'll, and, they'll, and get them laughing, you know? That's, the, that's what you sure. want to do. But yeah. the problem was, you know, yeah, we, if you, but the negative is sometimes you only have six people, four of which who don't like you. Oh, <laughs> so those can be rough shows you know? yeah but you get that too i remember two years ago it was really frustrating there's only like eight people in the crowd and four of them just hated me they had their heads down they were rude jerks you know they actually would have their heads down looking at their lap you know okay. and i said the energy was so painful from these people i, I said to them because i learned my lesson i had some other bad shows and I put up with the idiots in the crowd. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is my show. I don't have to put up with this shit. And it's also a free show. They didn't pay anything to get in, you know? So I said to them, if you don't like it, please, I'd rather you leave, you know, because you're disturbing the energy. And I got them to leave. And I had a better time with four people that wanted to hear it than eight people, four of which that didn't. How many times have you been to the Fringe since 2013? How many times? Uh, five times. Okay, so were you planning on going this year? I was, yeah. And you had a show lined up? I was going to do two shows, actually. Oh, so what, what would give you an example of, of one of the shows you were, going to, you were going to run up in the fringe? Well, one show is just basically uh, all the stuff I've been working on, material that I have. But like the other show progress? Was, no, the other show was... Uh, no, they were both going to be regular shows. But the okay. other show was... I have a lot of material, I don't know if you're, about my name. I do a lot of material on my name, Al Lubell. Okay. So I was going to try to do an hour show on just my name. Okay. And uh, you could argue that'd be work. It wouldn't have been billed as a work in progress, but it probably would have been a work in progress because I would have used it as to experiment to see how that works. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was going to do those two things. And the great thing about London as well, you could you can you have lots of stages. Well, before COVID, to go and 
and road test it and just kind of like, you know, you know, get it those few minutes to see if certain aspects of the show will work and what does and what doesn't work. Do you agree? Yeah, I know. That's what's, yeah, yeah, it's great about women. I know. I yeah. wasn't getting this kind of stage time in America. It was harder. I wanted to bring this, like, this podcast into talking about Edinburgh Fringe. And, and you've talked about a lot of things that are, are kind of like, you know, it's not the easier side of the fringe. And that's what I want. I want to see the real side of things because a lot of people say, I went to the fringe and I had a great show. And of course, you'll have some great shows, but you'll also have some tough shows because the fringe, some people go to the fringe for one or two years and don't go back. There's a lot going on. There's uh, a lot of shows, uh, some good, some bad, some ugly, but you get lots of stage time because there's lots of comedians doing shows. And you might even do a little five minutes with, some, with like a friend, a comedian friend, or 20 minutes here, 10 minutes here. So you're getting a lot of chance to perform and to, to very varying audiences, maybe not even comedy lovers, people who just are in town because they're traveling through, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know that some crowds can be very tough. I remember when I did it 2014, mm. some show at the Pleasance, I did it, uh, they have this room, the bunkers next door to the Pleasance, these smaller rooms. I think they're called bunkers. Yeah. It's, it's rooms next door to the Pleasance. It's part of the Pleasance, but anyway, it was a tough room. It was very hot in there, super hot in yeah. the room. Uh, there was no elevate. The stage wasn't elevated. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't have that sense of control over the audience. It was. I seated about forty or fifty people. Yeah. I just didn't like the physicality of the room. I didn't like the heat of the room. Mm. And uh, anyway, what well, my point is, like one night it was packed on a Saturday. But it was by all the locals, older people living in Edinburgh, older people. Yeah. So they're not, they weren't really like the hip kind of smart young people that are looking for something mm-hmm. a little offbeat and different. Yeah. They were looking for something they'd see on TV, some normal kind of comedy mm. that they've seen stars do. And so they were the worst crowd for me. And the room sucked physically. So it was a very tough experience. Yeah. So you get those kind of crowds. Sometimes you get... Like I said, only eight people. Because then I started doing the free fringe. I didn't want the pressure of the money. I didn't want to lose money. Mm. You know, uh, so I didn't want that pressure. So in 2015, I started doing the free fringe. And actually, that year, luckily, I made money because uh, the show caught on and I made money But at the Voodoo Rooms there. But uh, my point is, you just never know what kind of crowd. Because then the next year I came back, was I skipped 16 and I came back in 17. And I didn't like the location. Location's very important. Mm. The, where I was supposed to be, they yeah. had a problem in the building, Cowgate. Yeah, for they sure. Had yeah, that's... Problem. They had a closed Cowgate. So okay. they moved some of the rooms. And where they moved me, I didn't like. And uh, it was tougher to get an audience. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you can get, and people aren't, and it's a free show. So people aren't necessarily even coming really because to see you. They're coming just because they were given a free ticket. Mm. So some people, Ob- it's in all fairness to the audience, but you're not for them and they're not for you. They yeah. don't like you. Mm. And sometimes they'll walk out during the show, which is okay. You know, but it, it can be very tough. Yeah. Like you said, totally. Yeah. yeah there's totally. a lot of negatives. And totally. even that's coming from me for a guy that won an award there, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Tough. Yeah. So, but I like it because even though it can be tough, you get better from the toughness. Totally. Yeah. Know? A very intense month. Of like you said, doing four or five spots a night on other shows to promote mm-hmm. your show. Mm-hmm. So it's like an intense comedy gymnasium where you're yeah. constantly, you know, hear the story about those Beatles, the Beatles that put ten thousand hours in 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 Hamburg, Germany, right? And they did, they I think they did six, seven spots a, uh, a night, six, seven sets at the club, 
and they got their 10,000 hours in. And that's what Edinburgh is like, getting those hours in, repetition. I became a way better comedian when I started doing Edinburgh in 2013. I got way better than I had been. That's you know, great. and I've gotten better by being, like you said, the spots you can get in London. Yeah. I, I've gotten better. Mm-hmm. And I had some gigs in America in November, and I was there for like a month. But I got a lot of spots there. But still, you have to drive to them all and drive, drive. Things are closer here in London, you know, and, and in Edinburgh. So mm. I think to become, you know, it's a really good place to be a comedian. I know you were say, I, I know you've gigged in Ireland, you, you've, uh, specifically the Cat's Laugh Festival. How did you find the Cat's Laugh Festival? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I really liked it. I did two of them. You done two? Yeah. Yeah, I did two of them. What was your first year you doing the cat's laugh? The first year I did it was, uh, I think actually it's the cat laugh, isn't it? The cat laugh, yeah, the cat laugh, yeah. yeah. I think so. They can't afford cats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the, uh, I did it in 2014. Luckily, the guy guy saw me in Edinburgh and liked me. And so that's how I got the cat laugh festival in 2014. And then they had me back in 2015. And uh, yeah, you don't get as much stage time, obviously, as in Edinburgh. It's only like a four-day festival. Okay. And uh, so I think you get to do, and I didn't do a solo show there. They bring in like celebrities to do solo shows. Oh, okay. Uh, but I think, you know, I think I did like three or four 20-minute spots. But it's, it's great fun to do it. And, uh, you know, it's a lot, I really liked it. How did you find the Irish audience versus the UK or even American or other world audiences? I like it a lot. I think, you know, maybe uh, uh, Dublin audiences I liked a lot. Okay. You know, uh, I played Dublin a lot, like those clubs, uh, what Danny O'Brien has a room. Uh-huh. I did uh, Christopher O'Leary's got a room in, what's it, a Cork? I like that room. I forgot the name of the room. That was good. But yeah, I know. Hopefully they'll come up with a vaccine and uh, soon and mm-hmm. hopefully comedy will start up again. Yeah. But I really like the, uh, very similar to British crowds, you know, I like the uh, Irish audiences a lot. That's good. Yeah. So they're very, re- they're very re- receptive, you know, they, they, they get, they buy into the, you know, the, the fact they're in a comedy club or out for a laugh, you know? Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. They, yeah I think uh, they are. And again, I think they're used to being in pubs. So uh, socializing. So I think in a lot of ways they're, really good audiences the whole idea was just to connect with people that i i've spoke to at you know from 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 my past life or from the fringe i'm glad i'm glad you said yes to come on the show because you're a very intriguing character and i i think people find you very interesting as well and take uh take it easy i hope you get back gigging soon and um keep writing those jokes and enjoying life thank you okay bye next one all right take it easy see you yeah, so that was Al Lubell. Yeah, so he's Al Lubell. He's an American comedian based in England. He's very interesting and a funny guy indeed. Now, this was episode four of my Edinburgh Festival Fringe series and also episode 22 of my podcast. My name is Shane. This is Heartlines. If you like what you hear today, guys, please like, share, subscribe. And remember, you're always welcome here on Heartlines. Take it easy. Bye bye. <laughs>